Hey, good morning. You did a good job getting through it this time. Yeah, I didn't cry, so. <laughs> um, no, it's a privilege to be here with you guys today. Um, my wife, Deborah, Abigail's in here with us today, too. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to, to kind of be a part of God's developing story and everything that he's doing around the world, uh, in us, through us, and um, kind of going to share a little bit about that today of how a little more Jesus in our lives kind of does a lot, right? Uh, transforms lives, uh, does incredible things through the church. Um, but before I get into that, I want to give you a brief update because we don't do very good with newsletters, unfortunately. Uh, as you can tell, probably haven't received one in a while. Uh, if you are signed up to, to receive newsletters. Um, they did do an article in a, in a magazine called Calvary Chapel Magazine. Um, and I'll try my best to somehow figure out how to get those to you guys. Maybe, yeah, maybe Scott can help with that. And then, um, but yeah, it's an article that kind of goes through and, and explains the ministry there and stuff. So uh, hopefully, uh, if you get a chance to read that, you'll be able to have a better idea. But I'll do my best to explain. And then at the end, I think while we're going to fellowship and, and uh, have the potluck, we'll uh, have some slides up for anybody who wants to see kind of the area and what it looks like, and you get a better idea with pictures uh, of what I'm talking about right now. So um, we moved there back in uh, 2012, and then we were kind of in and out trying to get documents, but uh, we moved from Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, kind of got our feet wet there with uh, Paul and, and Jed uh, Gorley. They were co-pastoring a church there at Calvary Chapel Church Plant in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, which is predominantly Muslim, uh, nominally Muslim, I should say. But uh, after we moved to, to Salakard, we really didn't know what our role was going to be. So a lot of people have this great, you know, plan, vision, this is what we're going to do. Uh, that wasn't us. We kind of went just like, okay, church planting is a great thing. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. So we came, um, we got involved with the church there that uh, the pastor, Anatoly, he was kind of trying to find his identity uh, and the church was. And so we joined forces with them and, and decided that we would uh, help out there as much as possible. But I asked him, I said, is there a place, you know, where you could see that there needs to be a church plant, you know, a group. Uh, and so he's, he kind of directed us toward this small town of 5,000 people called Exotica. So we've been in Exotica most of the time that we've been there, but also really involved with the church plant in Selichard, which is a group of um, about 50 people. Uh, and uh, it's um, located in the city of Selichard, which is a city of about uh, 60,000 people. So fairly big, but most of the people are people who come in from the rest of Russia to work because in the Arctic Circle, they have a lot of natural gas uh, right there uh, in Russia, in Siberia. And so they send people up there to work, give them, uh, you know, uh, benefits for working up in the north. Uh, so they call it the Northern Benefits Package. And uh, so a lot of people moving up there to work. So we uh, were more drawn towards the people groups that live up there, the Nyanyats and the Khanti people group, uh, to be uh, precise. So these people groups are more like Native uh, Americans, and they uh, breed their reindeer up in the tundra. Some of them have moved into towns and cities, uh, but they have their reindeer up, in, uh, and then they also, many of them are fishermen, and so they're kind of spread out throughout this area up there. And so when, I, when we first got there, we were like, well, how do we reach out to these people who are in these remote places, really hard to get to uh, uh, places. And so with the help of the, the, the local pastor and the, the church community that was there, uh, we developed this transportation system now to where we do uh, kind of this circuit. And we try to reach about seven different towns and villages uh, every given week, sometimes during the winter and then during the summertime, usually every month. Um, and so we have this transportation system now set up. Uh, and Thanks to you guys, too, and your help for us to get a vehicle to be able to drive. We're able to reach a lot of these places. So you guys are a part of that and us getting out to these different places. And uh, so what we do is we, we split up and we go in these different teams. Uh, I, I got the idea back when I was reading about what Jesus did, how he did a circuit. He kind of went through these towns and villages and would preach the kingdom. And then he would return oftentimes to Capernaum or to a central location and they would kind of get together and they would get encouraged and they would go back out and do, you know, ministry again. And I always thought that was really neat. Um, and I thought maybe that would be something for that area that would work. And so we've been doing that for the past maybe 
three years. Um, we've tried to earlier, but, but the past two years have actually been the most effective. And, and this last year was even the most effective uh, because of the gradual increase in transportation that we've been uh, adding to, uh, to our, uh, yeah, vehicles that, all-terrain vehicles that we can use to get out to these places. And so uh, we just got a boat this summer. So the guys have been going out in the boat, reaching out to some of the different towns and villages, which is great. Uh, we uh, use three other vehicles that we drive to different towns uh, to during the, the winter months. So we drive on, a, on the river. Uh, the river freezes. Uh, some people know like the, the when, um, in Alaska, they have a show or something like that about trucks driving, people tell me, on the winter rivers and stuff like that. So it's probably similar to that. We drive on these winter rivers. Uh, the government plows them. They, they're they're interested, uh, interested in developing these communities as well. And uh, so there's always a way somehow to get to these places. Uh, but we also have a snowmobile that we get to the, some of the harder to reach areas, uh, travel out to them. And then everywhere we go, our goal is to just show who Jesus is. And, uh, you know, I was growing up, and, and this, this is kind of going to mingle with what I'm sharing today. Um, growing up, I always wanted to meet Jesus. I, maybe some of you are the same. You're always thinking, man, it would be great to meet him face to face. I wonder what he'd be like. How could I talk to him? What would he do? What would he say? Um, would he, what would he say particular to me and to my circumstance right now that I'm living in? And, um, you know, as growing up as a, as a kid in a Christian home, uh, it was very different than it was for my dad who grew up in a, you know, a non-Christian uh, family. Uh, they had gone to church several times on holidays and stuff like that. But what he grew up in was more of this kind of culture uh, where uh, you live your own life and then occasionally you attend church, which a lot of people are familiar with. Um, but what happened was, is he was radically transformed by grace. And he, if he was, you were reading the book or he was telling this story, he would always tell the story of a guy who's uh, Lester Swoverland, a farmer. And in that story, you would, you would hear him talk about him as if my dad was meeting Jesus through this guy. And I always thought that was really neat because you realize that God uses people to show who he is, right? And all throughout history, you kind of see how God's done that, right? I mean, and he uses the most unlikely candidates, right, to do that. Some people, I mean, you know, uh, Paul, he was a Pharisee, so he had some training. But for the most part, you look, and you look through the Old Testament and you're like, wow, you know, Moses, uh, not necessarily one of the most likely candidates, you know, or uh, Abraham, and, and you go through the list of people, and you got Jacob the deceiver, and you got all these guys who, who God takes, but then he transforms, and he uses them as his servants. And, but, but then I was noticing not just these individual people, but even more so God decides to use a group of people, right? So he uses today the church back in the Old Testament times, we see he was using Israel as his model of who he was, a nation that would follow after him. And when they didn't, you know, there was the, the ups and downs and him trying to correct them. But if you look and you see the people that come in contact with God's people, there's this transformation that happens because they finally meet God. And they're meeting him through people. So strange, right? Even the angels are kind of like baffled at this, right? Because it says, Paul says, he says, even to the angels, the church was a mystery. Like, how could God use the church to show who he was? Because these people, they're, they're not very great, you know? They're, they're kind of these weird people. And how is he going to use them to show how awesome he is, you know? So these angels, they're watching this picture on earth, you know? And God's saying, so I'm going to create a, a thing. It's going to be called the church. And... Uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, you know, they're going to be built on, on this foundation of Jesus. And, and you know, he's the, the foundation, the cornerstone of this building. And the angels are like, wait, so how is this going to work? And then God does something miraculous. He, he decides, okay, so the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to, they're, they're going to have to give up themselves. They're going to have to sacrifice themselves. So, I, I, you know, Jesus provided the way for that to happen. But then I'm going to put my spirit, so I am going to indwell in them to give them the power to be able to reveal who I am to the world. So Lester Swoverlin from my dad was one of those guys who surrendered to the Holy Spirit and revealed who Jesus was 
And he was one of the, the portions of who Jesus was, not, not the full picture. And none of us are. And Paul even says it. He says, not that I've already attained, but I'm striving. I'm, I'm pushing forward. I'm trying to get there, you know, be more like Jesus. That's his goal, you know. And he says, and I want you guys to follow my example and do the same thing. Be more like Jesus. He says this to the Philippian church. If you look in Philippians chapter 3, I think, then he's, he's talking about being more like Jesus. And then he's saying, and you guys follow my example. And our example, really, is what he's saying in, in doing the same. And that way, the world can see who Jesus is. So my dad, that's what happened in his life. He saw who Jesus was, and it transformed his life. And he gradually met more and more people like him, and that, that is the church. That is the body of Christ, right? And uh, that's kind of where um, I wanted to start out today was, and usually I read the full chapter, but I don't think I'm going to read the chapter today, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you kind of look in there, Paul is talking about the body. He's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives each member in the body a gift, and this gift is very important. It's important for the edification of the body. And it's also important for the body to understand that we're not all the same, that we're all different. And Scott and I were talking about this yesterday, and I was asking how the body here is, and he was saying it's doing really great, and now it's super encouraging. So hopefully this is just encouraging you guys to be more of what you already are. And to, to also maybe free somebody up in their mind, because I know that for myself, uh, I used to think I needed to be something that I wasn't. Uh, and I'll explain more of that. But I used to think that I needed to come to Yamal and I had to have this plan and I had to be, you know, this type of person. And, but no, it's, it's more about being who Christ has called you to be. Yes, it involves sacrifice. Yes, it involves those moments where you're like, we sang in the song, you know, I'm walking up on the waters in this faith. And, you know, it's, it's this scary kind of thing. But at the same time, it's really exciting to see how God takes that step of faith and he does this incredible thing and that he, he does something through you that you could have never done in your own. And the Holy Spirit begins to do this work that other people are watching and they're like, wait a second, this isn't natural. This is something that we've never seen before. How can you be this way? This doesn't make sense to us. And they start to see who Jesus is because it goes back to that uh, surrender that um, I'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, but going back to the story kind of of what's going on in Yamal, so Deborah and I get there, and we don't really know what we're doing. We're, we're kind of... Uh, uh, just hoping that God can direct us. So we started doing this, the, the transportation thing. So now we, we've kind of seen over the nine years that we've been there that really what God wanted us to do was to equip a lot of the believers there in Yamal. And also to bring, there's been several who have come to the Lord since we've been there as well. And their testimonies are incredible. But also to kind of guide them into this message that I'm going to share today of be what Christ has called you to be. And don't be afraid to use the gift he's given you. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but one of my favorite things in, in the books, uh, Abigail's read it, she loves the, the series as well, but my, one of my favorite parts in the books, um, uh, maybe somebody's seen the movie, but uh, in, the, in the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, where uh, you know, uh, Edmund, one of the, the, the boys, goes off on his own, and he's with the witch, and then the three of them, the three remaining kids who are in this world, this magical world, uh, they're uh, on their way to meet uh, Aslan, who's the representation of God. And uh, the witch is a representation of evil or, or Satan, most likely. Uh, and C.S. Lewis does a really good job of kind of bringing out through these fictional uh, uh, people more of the truths of, of the Bible. And so what he does is in this one part is kind of interesting. He presents this other character and he's called Father Christmas. And uh, he's this jolly guy on a sled, you know, coming in. But what he does that, that's different is that this guy is a servant of also Aslan. And so what he's doing is he's giving out gifts to people. He's like the Holy Spirit giving out these gifts, right? And so the, it's not a perfect representation, of course, of the Bible, but it's just a, a picture that he kind of helps portray. And so he gives each one of the kids a gift. He gives Peter, he gives a shield and a sword. Uh, and he said, this is for battle, for you to protect, to, you know, war against the enemy. And then he goes on to Susan, the, the next oldest uh, in line. And he says, for you, uh, here's a bow and arrow. 
you know, to war off the enemy from afar and a trumpet to call for help whenever the enemy is coming. And so, you know, blow that trumpet as soon as you see the enemy coming, gives a warning to everybody, prepares them for the battle and the, the bow and arrow to help um, protect, you know, from a distance. Uh, and then he goes to Lucy and it's kind of interesting because when he gives Lucy her gift, she's kind of ready for this sword and for the shield or something, you know, big. And he gives her this little dagger and this little vial. And, and she's kind of like, you know, what are these? And he says, well, this, you know, the, you're not to battle in the battle. You're not supposed to go into the war. That's for Peter. Uh, but you're, you're to stay far off and wait. And this little vial is, is a healing potion so that you can heal people after the battle. And she's kind of bummed. You know, she, she's like, but I want to be in the battle. And I want to, you know, be out there in the action. And he said, but that's not your role. That's not what you're to do. You're meant to heal, and your job is just as important as Peter's, you know, is kind of what, the way C.S. Lewis portrays it. It's, you, you have the same kind of role, but it's different. And, and she, at first, is hesitant, but then later on, she starts to figure it out after the battle, and, and her brother is wounded, and, you know, she touches him with this potion, and it heals him, and uh, she, she realizes how important her gifts are. And that's often the way I see it in the church, right? Like, if you read through this chapter in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you'll, you'll see that, you know, Paul's talking about that. He's saying, you know, the hand's not the uh, foot, and the foot's not the hand, and, you know, he talks about all of those things and how all these, these giftings and this body are, are working together to edify the body. And also, you know, he says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. Sorry, this is verse 27 that I'm reading from and 28 now. Uh, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Uh, after that, miracles and gift of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Uh, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into one of my favorite parts, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to read it, but uh, in chapter 13 of love, and how love is, is the underlying thing that every believer needs. So we have the gifts. We have all these separate gifts, right? But what is creating the, the ability for us to use these gifts the proper way? It's the motivation behind what we do. It's the motivation behind what God has done. It's love, right? And, and Jesus said it. He said to his disciples, he said, the way they're going to know that you're my disciples is for your love for one another. And that's the, that's the characteristic that, that shows people who we are, is this love. The gifts are the power that comes out of that love that we then use to show people. Now, my problem was I always thought, well, everybody else is gifted, I'm not. Uh, or I probably have some, you know, kind of small gift or something that, that uh, isn't meant, meant to be that useful. Well, that's kind of underplaying what God has actually designed for us. He's actually given us all gifts that are very important. And when we don't use those gifts, we're actually harming the body, right? Like if my hand's not scratching the spot and it needs scratched, then that spot is suffering, <laughs> right? Or if a part of my body is in need, the other parts of the body are going to take action because the brain is telling it, hey, you need to do that. And in fact, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything, but you know, you've got uh, diseases where the brain is, is, or the signals are coming the wrong way. You've got Tourette's and all these things where, you know, the body's reacting the wrong way and it's doing the wrong thing. Well, that's because there's some Something dysfunctional in it. But when it's functioning properly, it's listening to the brain. So now I'm, I'm going to kind of take a jump to um, Romans chapter 12, because we need to, to figure out how it is that the body can function properly, right? So I did mention already that it comes from that surrender. And this is stuff I know a lot of it I'm preaching to the choir, but I want you to realize that that every one of us is, is super useful in the kingdom. And I, I begin to realize it as we've been in Yamal that um, I, didn't, I, I don't have to know 
you know, everything and I don't need to understand everything ahead of time. If I just step out in faith and use what God's given me to encourage people and to, to guide them into what they need to do. Uh, for, for the church in Yamal, for us, it was encouraging the pastor there in Selikard and showing him, look, you know, this is a way that we can continue to teach the word and go verse by verse and the body will be encouraged. And then they can be equipped to then go share the gospel with their relatives. And so he started doing that. We started doing it in Aksadka at the same time. We're going through the, the word, you know, verse by verse now. And uh, we're doing it in Aksadka. They're doing it there. And now we're doing it in all the other towns and villages that we visit. And it's actually presented a way for for us to have this structure to where now, which I didn't plan, by the way, it was kind of like how God guided us into this. So now we're, we're going through the word and it's actually equipping the, the guys on the team and making them realize, okay, I can do this. I can read a, you know, a portion of scripture and just talk to people about it and we can, you know, fellowship. And they also realize that I can, I can just share about what God's done in my life. And that, I think that's the, the, the coolest thing um, that's the most, probably the most powerful thing. And I was talking to my daughter before uh, the service this morning because I was asking her, so what do you feel when, when you know, somebody's sharing, what do you feel the most, um, when, uh, teaches you the most when you're listening? And she said, it's usually like when people tell the stories about, you know, what God's done in their lives. And I was like, ah, so the personal testimonies that people have. It's true. When you hear testimonies about what, what, what God's done in someone's life, it really does have this powerful effect uh, on the listeners because they have, to, they have to take that story and they have to examine it and say, okay, is this real or is this person making it up? And then when they figure out, you know, if it's real and they figure out that it's real, they're like, man, how did that happen? And so then they have to examine it. So like an Old Testament example of that would be uh, Rahab, right? prostitute who uh, took in these two spies. And then what does she say to these spies? She says, we've heard about you guys before. We heard that your God was the one that, that delivered you guys out of Egypt and that parted the sea for you to walk through it. She heard of God's power already before they came. And that to her was already, that's what saved her, right? That's what saved her and her family was the fact that she had heard of God's power. So I think it's so important for us as believers to be sharing our stories, to be sharing of what God does in our lives. Now, to be able to share what God does in our life, we have to recognize what God does in our life, right? So, but to be able to recognize what God does in our life, we need to kind of surrender to him to allow him to do something in our lives, right? So it all starts from that first point, you know, the salvation, uh, but then it goes into this por portion of surrender. And that's what uh, Romans chapter 12 uh, talks about, right? Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's like, I beg you guys, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or worshipful service to him. So presenting ourselves to him is just the logical worshipful thing that we can do because he's the one that gave his life for us. And so when we recognize that, when we recognize what he's done, the grace that he's poured into our lives, that gives us that motivation to, okay, I can surrender to him because he's a good king. It's not like surrendering to, uh, you know, in, in Russia, everybody's afraid to surrender to the Russian government, right? To the president because, ooh, I don't know what'll happen then. You know, here, you know, you don't know what'll happen if you do this or if you take this job, that means that you're under this person, right? Uh, so that's kind of scary. It's kind of scary when you put yourself under somebody else's rule because that means that you're obedient to that person or to that government or that system, right? But the only one that we know that I, I personally, I don't mind putting myself under is Jesus Christ, right? Because he came to earth. He lived a humble life. He gave his life for us. And I know that he loves me because of that. He's not out there to control me to, you know, to try and, and get his own selfish gain. No, he sacrificed everything. So he is that logical person I, I don't mind surrendering to. He can be my king anytime, right? Because I know that he'll guide me into green pastures. I know that he, you know, as David even speaks of his relationship with God, it shows how much he trusts him, how much he wants to be under his rule. He, that's a king that I want is Jesus who, who will guide, and he's, he's there to, to, to guide every one of us, right? And to lead us to this place where it's far better. He's trying to take us into a kingdom that is a kingdom of righteousness, 
a kingdom with no sin, with purity, with, with this joy unspeakable, and a life that is abounding. I, when I picture heaven, I think of a place where, like, it just is constantly, every day your mind is blown. Because you're looking and you're, you're seeing things you've never seen before, uh, like the angels in the church, right? You know, they're seeing, well, you use the church, God. You're incredible. How did you do that? How did you get into these people? And you, then you showed people who you were. And then, wow, God, you're incredible. Praise and glory and honor to you. You are the righteous one. You are, and they're singing praises. And when we read about it in Revelation, you know, you're, you're reading these praises. And sometimes when I was a kid, I'd read it and I'd be like, man, that's boring. I hope I, you know, I'm forced to praise God. No, you're not forced to. You're brought to that. When you see God, you, there will be no other explanation but to praise him and say, man, God, that's incredible because we'll be observing and, and being a part of something that, could you imagine being Gabriel, the angel who comes to Mary and tells her the news? So God's going to actually kind of like be born as a man, but he's going to come out of you and you're going to be the one that gives birth to him. And then he's going to save the world. You know, Mary's pondering these things in her heart. I'm like, uh, I'd be pondering those things in my heart too, you know, all these things. And then he's born and he's 12 and he's in the temple. And you do all these things. But Gabriel was the one bringing this news. And, you know, I can imagine God saying, you know, Gabriel, I want you to go tell Mary this. And Gabriel's like, okay, I'm going. You know, I don't understand this. I'm going. But God, I already know. I've seen. So I'm going to tell her this. And, you know, and he's telling her this stuff. And, and blessed are you, Mary, who received this news, right? You know, I think he's, this whole time, he's just like, this is interesting. <laughs> God's going to do something cool again, you know. But then when it happens, you know, I think the angels, that's what brings them into this praise and worship and this glorifying God. And I think that's going to be the case for us too, right? We're going to look back and we're going to see everything God's done. We're going to forward. is going to be more of that. And, and it's going to blow our minds every single day that we're with him for eternity. Um, so yeah, so back to, to Romans. So it begins with this sacrifice, right? So we, uh, salvation comes into our life. You know, we recognize what he's done in our lives. Then we sacrifice. We say, okay, God, here it is. This is, this is what I have. Take it. It's not much, but here it is, right? And God then says, okay, that's good. You're, you're surrendering to the head, to Christ. Now you can be a part of the body and you can, you can edify the body. You can function as a body when you're surrendered to it. And if you look at Romans 12, because we stop usually at verse 2, right? Because we'll go, it goes, uh, sacrifice yourself, living sacrifice, holding yourself to the Lord, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, right? So you don't want to be like the world. Don't be conformed to it, but be transformed. So instead of being conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the metamorphosis happen, right? So I'm sure most of you have gone through Romans 1 and 2. You know that whole, the teaching about the metamorphosis let that process take place so that what's the reasoning for all this, right? So you sacrifice yourself, you're, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know something. What is it that everybody wants to know? I always want to know what's, what does God want to do? What's, what does he want to do? God, what do you want to do? <laughs> well, what is his will? Because Jesus said, I always want to do that which pleases the Father. I want to do what he wants this is what I want to do. And so he was in prayer with the Father, constantly speaking to him, and he was constantly seeking the Father's will. Even in the garden, the prayer that, that God never answered in a positive way for Jesus, in the sense that it didn't uh, please Jesus' flesh, uh, per se, he, he prayed the prayer, if at all possible, let this cup pass, this cup of your wrath pass. I don't want to experience that, but not my will but yours be done. And you see that God said, there's no other way. This is the only way. So the cup can't pass. And, and, and it pained the Father. He turned his face away, right, on the cross. But Jesus was seeking his will. And then, you know, it, one of my favorite passages, too, uh, that John writes in, his, in the Gospel of John is uh, chapter 17 of John, where Jesus is praying this prayer about, uh, you know, us being one, 
Well, he was praying for how he and the Father are one, so also let my disciples be one. And there's this just constant, you know, in the prayer, constant uh, reminder of let, let us all be one. And then he says, and then those who believe through the disciples, us, right, let them also be one with us. <laughs> and it's just this beautiful picture of how Jesus desires us to be one, one body under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the the mind of the body, which is Jesus Christ, to be directing. So as we surrender and are transformed, then we find out what the will of God is. But then you go beyond that verse, and this is my favorite part. Then Paul goes on to explain spiritual gifts and edification within the body and how that process is taking place for that purpose, that the body then become Christ to the world. And what I'm trying to get at throughout, through, through all this is that all of us are equipped. All of us have the, the, the potential to be Christ to others. In my own personal life, I didn't realize it for the longest time. I was blessed in seeing Jesus every day. Yeah, I saw the fleshly side of my dad. He was a, he was a sinner just like everyone else. But he was like Paul, striving towards something. He's striving towards something better. And he recognized his, his faults and said, God, take this also. Transform me further. May I know your will more. Let me take more steps of faith to follow you. And that lack of hypocrisy is what showed me who Jesus really was. It showed me through the power of of his transformation in my dad's life. I heard all those stories, you know. He would tell us stories of how he was, he was a hooligan. He, you know, constantly trying to uh, have, make trouble in town. And, you know, he told stories of how he went to court. And, you know, uh, they would actually go around town and, and let out the tires of the, the um, sheriff in town and, you know, then have him chase him around. It was a game for them. That's, that was fun for them, you know? And uh, then, you know, they would drive. He, I remember he was telling the story how he was driving with his friend and they decided to pick up this one guy that they knew he was kind of, he wasn't into the adrenaline rush kind of thing, if you know what I'm saying. And um, they decided they're going to drive around what they call dead man's curve with him going like 60 miles an hour in this car. And uh, just to get get him scared, you know, and, and get a kick out of it. And so they did, and they flipped the car over. The guy peed his pants because they, you know, flipped the car over and all this stuff and just did these awful things, you know. And this was his life prior to coming to Christ. I'm saying this to, so you can see he wasn't this righteous guy. He wasn't this guy who was like, you know, oh, yeah, that guy's going to be a, a preacher someday or he's going to be a missionary. No, the complete opposite. Everybody would have said this guy. In fact, his school did say about him that he's going to be the least likely, uh, least likely to succeed and probably die before anyone else uh, because of the way he lived. That's where he was headed. And then he met Jesus and it transformed his life and he went on a completely different path. And it transformed him. So I saw that. And then not only him, but I also saw then his life was so transformed. He was like, I know God can do this in, in other people. So he would find the most, the least likely candidates. The people who everybody said was a failure. Who people said were not going to make it. And he would find those guys and he would tell them what God did in his life. And it would transform their lives. Because they met Jesus through my dad and through guys like Tom Camp, who also was one of those types of guys. Uh, Tom Camp, Jeremy Camp's dad. Uh, I was just with them. And I remember going to, to Tom Camp's house. He would lead worship in Crawfordsville when we had, uh, and, you know, he'd come out and he had paint all over his clothes, you know, from, from working the day before. And, uh, you know, he was just this guy and he was just praising the Lord. And he, but he, they would go out and they would share Jesus with, with guys in prison. They would share Jesus with guys on the street who were on drugs. And, you know, because they knew, they knew that God could change their lives because he did it in their life. And so because they knew that, it created this just surrender to God. Like, okay, God, do it again. You know, we want to see you do it again. And this excitement to see that God could do that. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not like my dad. I didn't experience that like he did. I, I grew up in a Christian home, which is also a blessing. And I also need to use that and see that. And so what, what happened with my life was a little bit different. 
I had to experience God's grace on my own. I had to experience, you know, his transforming power in my life. And that happened through my family mostly, but also the church. Because I saw, I could not deny the te- testimonies of people I saw in the, in the church. One of them was Mike Abney in Crawfordsville. He was, he was in prison, I don't know how long or how many times, but he couldn't read. He didn't know how to read. Um, and he literally learned to read because he wanted to read the Bible. And that's how he learned to read. My dad met him, and, and you know where the discipleship courses took place? Not in an office, not in a church building, but on the roofs of, of houses. And they would have their, I remember my dad's Bible, one of them, it had like tar all over it. Because they'd be doing roofs, and they'd, you know, Mike would ask a question, my dad would open the Bible, and they would read it, and then they would talk about it while they were hammering and doing all the different things on the roof. That was their life. That was what they did, you know? And that's the way my dad discipled so many guys. There was a guy who came up to me, uh, I think his name was Doug, he's playing drums in, at Horizon. He came up to me and said the same thing. He's like, you know, I, I didn't know uh, Jesus very well, but you know, he said, uh, I remember your dad, uh, somebody was saying that you know, he was working, and they invited me to work with him. And he was like, it was like having church every day, you know, like the word of God. And, you know, that's where I learned about, about the Bible. And I was like, that sounds like that. That's, that's what it was like, you know, because he let, he let the Holy Spirit permeate his life and then just let it shine. And that's what happened with Tom Camp. And that's what happened with so many of us here, right? And so I was, I was seeing Christ all around me, even though my, my constant question was like, why, why don't you show yourself to me, God? Where are you? Why can't you just appear in my back seat, you know, while I'm driving and just say something to me? Well, he was doing it the whole time. I just wasn't paying attention to the fact that the church is Christ. <laughs> and, he, and they were giving me hugs, and they were comforting me and, and there for me every step of the way, and I wasn't seeing it. And so what happened was I, you know, I was so absorbed in self that I wasn't seeing who Jesus was. And, and eventually it brought me down this road, you know, playing basketball. I came back to the States and it brought me down this road of um, becoming kind of prideful. And uh, I went back to Kiev to visit my family. And I told my dad he was a horrible father because one day he didn't pick me up when, when my friend locked his keys in the car. And I told him that he loved his church more than he loved his kids. And, you know, that just trying to like hurt him, I guess. And uh, I remember his answer. He was like, did Satan get into you or something? <laughs> and it made me even more mad. Uh, but then um, there was a time he's like, so he was gracious this whole time, but I wasn't seeing it. He gave me the keys to the car one time and uh, he's like, okay, you know, you can drive and play basketball with friends just, you know, and then bring the car back when you're done. So I was 18 and at 18, you're allowed to drive in Europe, uh, in Ukraine. Uh, so I was all prideful about that because I took my friend. Most people don't have their license there because they can't afford, you know, a car or anything like that. So uh, him and I, they couldn't then. Now it's different. But um, so him and I drove to basketball and, you know, I thought I was Michael Jordan. And so we're on our way back and, you know, I'm all prideful again, you know, driving. And we're behind this Land Cruiser and we're getting through all the traffic behind this black Land Cruiser. And uh, a light starts flashing yellow, uh, and the Land Cruiser guns it to get through. I gun it to get, you know, get through as well. For some reason, there's a, a crosswalk not too far after the, the light, and the, the Land Cruiser slams on his brake because a, a, a lady was crossing the road. And I slam on my brakes after him, but the tires, I don't know, were bald or something, and so I just skid and went right underneath this Land Cruiser. Radiator fluid everywhere. and instantly embarrassed instantly like you know I'm cussing and my friend's looking at me like because I I'm the one that brought him to church you know uh and so he's looking at me like who is this kid you know and uh we get out of the car my dad comes in the church van and I'll never forget it. He, get, he gets there and the first thing he says is are you guys okay is everything okay and you're like are you physically okay and I'm like I didn't even think about that you know after the accident that we're actually fully intact. Neither one of us were injured, even though the hood of the car is completely destroyed, radiator busted and everything. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I guess we are. And he's like, okay. And so then he goes and deals with the guy who I rammed into. Turns out I only hit the spare tire on this Land Cruiser, so there's not a scratch on the Land Cruiser. And I'm not even thinking about that at the time, that, wow, 
I didn't hurt this Land Cruiser. You know, it was just our car. But all that, so my dad takes care of the whole situation, gets the car towed, and I'm just sitting in the van embarrassed and humiliated, thinking, I don't want to live. This is embarrassing, because my whole life was about me, right, and pride. And so what happens when that's broken is you're like, I have no reason to live. I don't want to live because I'm embarrassed, right? And so we get back to the apartment building, go up to the 15th floor where we lived, um, and I go out to the balcony, and I'm standing on the balcony just thinking, man, if I knew that that God didn't exist and that everything would just go to nothing, I would jump because I don't want to feel this shame anymore. I don't want to feel this pain. And I remember then my mom came out and she was asking, you know, if I was okay. And she said, you know, what's wrong? And I was like, dad's never going to trust me again. I just ruined my whole life. And she's like, she said a phrase that I'll never forget to this day. And she said, then you don't know your father. And I was thinking, what does she mean? I don't know my father. I would do the same thing. I wouldn't, it's not that I, you know, it's wrong of him not to trust me. That's the right thing that he would do. That's what I would do. I wouldn't trust me anymore, you know? Stupid teenager, you know, wrecking a car. Uh, she went back inside and, and must have talked to my dad because my dad came back out into the balcony and he put his heavy arm on me. He's a pretty muscular guy, but his big heavy arm on me and, he's, and he said, uh, what's wrong, David? And I, you know, I start crying, telling him, you know, he's never going to trust me again. And he said, David, I can always replace a car, but I can never replace you. And I was blown away. I was like, how is this possible? And then when I got back to America to go to school, uh, finish school, uh, he bought me a car to drive. And what father would do that? You know, trust his kid with another car, you know, after you just wrecked the one. And I was blown away again. I, for the first time in my life, I experienced what grace was. I, I mean, probably not the first time. For the first time, I saw, practically speaking, what grace was. And it was through the actions of somebody who was surrendered to the Lord. And it happened to me, my dad, in that situation. But I saw it. And then, you know, afterwards, I started to see it even in hindsight, I started to see it through the church and everybody I was with. I remember those people who were compassionate and they saw when I was in pain and they would come and give me a hug. They would pray for me. I know my mom had everybody praying for me when I was going through this time. And th those people later came to me and I'm like, wow, these, the whole church really is so unified. And observing it from that perspective then of seeing, okay, in my own life, wow, how much it impacted me to see Jesus growing up. And that's you guys right now. That's what you're doing is you're revealing who Christ is to those around you, to your family members, to the people at work, and to everybody, right? And so, I, again, I, this is more of an encouragement for most of you probably to continue to do that, to model Christ in the places that you're at. That is so important. And within the body, to serve the body, right? To edify, to encourage, to build up. So that then when you guys go to the different places that you go to in your jobs and in your families, that in those places, Christ would, would radiate to those around you and us, right? Wherever we go. And, and that's kind of the message I've been sharing in Yamal with the, with the people there is that, you know, Sometimes all it takes is for you to come and just be with the, your family and tell them what, what God's done in your life and just be there for them. Have compassion when they need compassion, right? Ask them how you can pray for them. And, and those little acts, those little things that you do for them, even when they spit in your face, even when they're angry with you and, and do things that uh, seem, you know, bad, just react with Christ, sacrifice, right, yourself. Because oftentimes my flesh does want to act up. And I, I tell them that there, you know, I, I like people to know that I'm human. I like them to see that um, I don't like it when my human nature comes out. But I like them to know that, that God is the power in my life and not me. That it's, it's not something I overcame. I'm this great guy or anything like that. I remember while we were there um, in Yamal, I played in a basketball game. And God's used basketball time and time again in my life. And I pray before I play in the games because I know my nature. I know when I go play, I get competitive. And I know that I get angry sometimes, you know, with the, the opposing team. And so I pray before I, before I play and ask God, you know, give me strength to be 
a light for you to not be in the flesh, you know. And, uh, but this one game, I, I will always think towards the other team. I never thought about the referees. And so this one game I was playing, and this ref from the other city we were, that we were playing against, he was calling the game in their favor. And he was intentionally trying to get me out of the game by giving me fouls every time I tried to, like, you know, guard somebody. And so, uh, and he actually looked at me one time because I was like, what are you talking, you know, I didn't foul the guy. And he looked at me and he smiled and he walked away. He's like, I know, I know what I'm doing. And I got so angry at that moment. I was like, give me the ball, give me the ball. And what I wanted to do was take the ball and run this guy into the wall and send him to the hospital because I was so angry with him. Nobody gave me the ball, thank goodness, at that moment in time. But that was my flesh. That was in my mind. I might as well, you know, I'm glad I didn't. I might have gotten kicked out of the country. But, you know, that's what went through my mind at that moment. And it just, again, reminded me of who I am and how much I need Jesus and his spirit to be guiding me every step of the way. Because I'm a sinner, just like everybody else. I no good. But him in my life makes me different. It transforms our lives literally as we surrender to him. But it does take that, that process of surrender. So um, some things I, I wrote down for sacrificing yourself. Give up your will. Repent of sin if needed. I think that's important, you know. Let's, let's lay everything before God in honesty and say, this is sin. Take it, please. Repent of it if needed. Stop thinking so much about yourself. So don't be conformed to this world, right? Because the world, the idea of the world is it's all about you and what you want and what you need. So stop thinking so much about yourself. And then the sacrifice part, do it as a result of being thankful. I think that the more I recognize of what God's done in my life, the easier it becomes to sacrifice. Because when I look and I see that God is the one that's doing it, then I can be thankful. And that's why I think Paul's answer to anxiety uh, and to problems in life when he says to the Philippian church, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I think in that Thanksgiving, that is not there by mistake by any means. Because I think every time I, I do go through hard times and I'm thinking of, you know, it does become anxious or difficult. When I present my request to God with thanksgiving, first it, it kind of forces me to stop and think for a second about everything he has blessed me with and everything he is doing and realize, wait a second, he is in control <laughs> more than what I realized at the moment. And then when I present the request, then the request may even change <laughs> as I'm thankful because then I realize, oh, wow, he's been doing this all along. With thanksgiving, you present him. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? Then the peace of God comes when you present your request with thanksgiving because then you'll realize that he's in control and, and his peace comes on us in a miraculous way and it, it guides our minds, it guides our hearts through Christ. So do it as a result of being thankful. Then um, looking for his will, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want to know it. Sometimes we're not willing to sacrifice to know it. But look for his will. Once, you, once that sacrifice takes place, look for his will in places like your family. Places oftentimes people don't think about. Maybe there's a, something that needs to happen there with a child, with a, a parent, with a, a cousin, with a grandmother, a grandfather. I don't know. But, but maybe there's something that God's wanting to do through you in your family. That's important. At work. So maybe there's somebody at work that needs a word of encouragement. There was a guy when I first got here, uh, he kept telling me about how, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you guys are awesome Mi missionaries up in the north, you know, the Arctic Circle. And, you know, I hear that a lot. But, uh, you know, and I sometimes I feel uncomfortable because I don't know what to say back because I don't know where they're at in their lives. But he started telling me about uh, some things that were going on. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm, you know, I really want to uh, minister more. I want to be involved in ministry more. And then he started telling me about, I was like, well, tell me how, th how are things going at work? And he was talking about work. And he said, you know, I just met this guy and, you know, I, he looks really sad. So I went up to him and I asked if I could pray for him and, uh, or no, I asked him if everything was okay. And he said, actually, no, it's not. I tried to commit suicide yesterday. 
And he's like, hey, would you like to come over to my house today? We could, you know, hang out a little bit, talk. And I was like, Brent, that's ministry. That's more ministry than anybody I know almost, you know. I don't get that opportunity half the time to be able to speak that way into somebody's life. You, you're a minister, dude. And he's like, well, I know that's ministry, but you know, you guys are, I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That's powerful. That's where God wants you. That's his will for you right now. Working at Chase Bank and seeing a guy like that and then, and then offering to go out to eat with them or to have them over to your house. That's, that's Christ. That's what Jesus would do. And I was, I was trying to encourage him, like, look for that more, you know, in, in your life at work. Because uh, that's, that's incredible. That's how Jesus gets to people is through our jobs and through, you know, the community and through family and through these, these things, you know. So then also look for God's will. So that's kind of like outward, but also look for, for his will inward. And what I mean by that is in the body of Christ. Because some are, you know, here for the equipping of the saints, and some are here for the encouragement, and some are here for serving, and, you know, all those things. Because within the body, there's also great needs, and all of us have those gifts for the body, right? To also minister within the body. And it shouldn't solely be within the body. It shouldn't solely be at work. It should be a combination of both, because I think it, one affects the other. Because as we bring in these stories of what God's doing in our community, it encourages us to pray for these people that are out there, you know, in, in these places that then can save their lives, you know, God can save their lives. And then, you know, it brings more of his kingdom and we continue to grow and we continue to see, uh, you know, how he's working within. So those are the three for, for looking for his will. Um, and that's kind of the, the, pretty much all I wanted to, to, to share about as far as, um, being Jesus. There's a, a great song by Zach Williams. It's called uh, Be a Little More Like Jesus, A Little Less Like Me. You guys heard it? Yeah, I love that song. Also, Jeremy Camp has a great one too, you know, uh, Christ in Me. Uh, I really like that song as well. And, you know, I just see that these guys are recognizing, a lot of us are recognizing how impactful it is when Jesus works through us, when we're a little more like Jesus, a little less like us, right? And it's a process. So don't get discouraged. Uh, but be like Paul, right? He said, imitate me. Paul did. And he said, be like Paul and, and recognize your faults. Recognize that you're striving, that you're, you're working, you're pressing onward towards this upward call of Christ. It's something that's taking process. Because it says, he, Paul says it in scripture, right? He says, you know, when we see him face to face, then we'll be like him. Perfect. Flawless. I'm winning that day already. But until then, we're striving. So I don't want sin, but it, it might show up. Something, my, my anger might step in. When that happens, strive towards him. That's who I want. I want to be more like Jesus, a little less like me. And so then again, that just a daily reminder to sacrifice ourselves. Jesus said it, right? You know, take up your cross daily and follow me. So every morning, wake up with that mindset of I'm serving Christ today. Jesus, help me. Give me the strength. Give me the tools I need to be able to be more like you. And, and just let it be a constant daily reminder, minute reminder, whatever it takes to be able to be more like him. And, and we should definitely be praying for each other, united in that cool story about the people there. So there is, um, in Yamal, there's a lady, Titanic over there, and then she writes songs. So she was, uh, as we were studying the word, uh, she, we came across the portion. So they're, they live in a culture that's very, um, uh, well, it's shamanistic. So they have, you know, rituals and, and things that, um, many gods, uh, and so for them, the relationship with God is very foreign, that idea that, you know, who God is. Um, so it's presented challenges over, over the years, but at the same time, when they really do grasp it, it's amazing to see. And she's one of those ladies who has grasped it. Um, and one of the cool things is that, you know, for, so in their culture, when somebody dies, they go to the spirit world and that person is a spirit. Um, we were going through about how Jesus died and rose from the dead. And she's written other songs in the past about God and about him creating the world. And uh, she goes and shares them with her, with her relatives and stuff. But one of the, the um, interesting songs that she wrote was we were studying through about how Jesus appears to, after his resurrection, appears to his disciples. And he asks them for fish. And it's a culture where they eat a lot of fish. So that, at first when she said it, I thought, 
maybe because of the fish. But then I realized she was saying, this is amazing that Jesus asked for fish. I was like, well, why is that amazing? And she said, because he's a body that wants to eat fish, you know. He's not a spirit. And I started to connect the dots. Oh, because in their culture, when you die, you're a spirit. But this is showing that Jesus rose in bodily form. And so for her, that was a revelation that was very powerful to see that Jesus was flesh and that he rose from the dead in the flesh as well. Like that. And so uh, she wrote a song about it. And we go to some of these towns and villages, and she sings the song to her relatives or to somebody, and then she shares about it. And she's just, again, another way for her to be a little more like Jesus and to share uh, what he's doing in, in their lives. Uh, and then, you know, God is doing stuff. You know, and I, I get discouraged sometimes, and I'm going to tell one last story uh, for the end uh, about how God does the work. Um, we're his tools, and it's great when he uses us. But also, sometimes there's things that seem like they're going the wrong way, and we don't know why. But he has a plan in the midst of it all. Um, and I just heard this story before I left this time. Uh, Anatoly told this story about how when they were first starting to, to reach out to these far-to-reach places in Yamal, um, they were getting this helicopter uh, stocked up with, with uh, humanitarian aid and Bibles to be able to fly to one of the farthest northern towns in our region. And I've actually never been there because I'm not allowed to go there because of uh, permission uh, by the Russian government. You have to have permission to get to this far-to-reach town. And uh, so they're getting the, this is before we arrived there. This is um, probably even like seven or eight years before we got there. When he first became a believer, they had this passion to try to reach the lost up in the north. And so they agreed with these three helicopter pilots that they would take him there. He had already contacted the, the guy who was the leader of that town, um, a local Ninets, that they would bring the, the stuff up there. And uh, so this guy was waiting for him. And they load up the helicopter, and then the hel one of the helicopter um, guys comes, and he says, you know, you guys won't be able to go. It's too heavy, and, you know, for whatever reason, you guys won't be able to go. Uh, but we'll deliver this stuff to the town for you, and so no worries. And they had nothing left to do but trust the, the guy and what he said. Well, the helicopter flies off, and they don't hear back from them for, like, months and they contact the guy in the village. He says the supplies never got to him. So they don't know what happened. And uh, it turns out that these helicopter pilots kind of saw the humanitarian aid in the, in the helicopter. And they thought, wow, we could make a good profit off of this. So what they decided to do was to trade it with reindeer herders in the tundra uh, for their antlers. Because the antlers are, very, are worth a lot of money. They sell them to China often. And uh, so that's what they did. They traded all this humanitarian aid. Um, for the reindeer antlers and, and sold them, apparently. But what was happening also on the other side with one of the reindeer herders, there's this guy named Piotr, Peter, uh, and he, was, he had just lost all of his reindeer in the tundra. And he was not too far away from this town, Seja. And he was traveling and, you know, just looking up to heaven and saying, Num, which is the God of heaven, said, you know, give me a sign, you know, that you're still there, that... that you, you know, you want to help me. And all of a sudden, these boxes start falling on the ground. And he opens these boxes, and there's Bibles in these boxes. And he starts to read that, you know, this is about God. He takes it into the nearest town and starts handing them out to everybody, which is Siecha, the town that they originally wanted to go to. So what happened was these helicopter pilots obviously saw no need for these Bibles. And they shove them out of this helicopter on their way while they're flying, and they land right at the feet of a guy who's looking up to heaven, crying out to God. And this guy then takes it and delivers it to the town where they initially wanted to deliver these Bibles to, and tells the story, and a small church group was formed in that town. So pretty cool how God can, even when we think, you know, that, man, discouraged Somebody took something and, and did something bad with what we wanted to do good. He'll take it and he'll still turn it into good. Reminds me of the story of Joseph and all that. And, you know, so God's doing stuff. And if we just are willing, he'll even change the, the narrative somehow and do something more incredible. And that's what we've seen uh, in Yamal happen time and time again, is that God is constantly changing the narrative. But 
it ends up better than what it would have been if we initially tried to do it ourselves. So praise God for everything he's doing in Yamal. And, you know, he's using you guys there. Uh, you guys are supporting us financially in a lot of ways, and, and we appreciate that. And uh, I hope more and more fruit will come from that as we see the church there get stronger and stronger and be able to reach out to these towns and villages. So thank you guys for your participation in the work in Yamal. And, uh, and thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord here and just reaching out even here. I'm encouraged to hear everything that God's doing in and through you guys. And it's a blessing to us, again, to see Christ in you. So let's pray. And uh, I'll just turn it over to Scott then. Um, thank you guys so much for this opportunity to be here with my family. And, uh, you know, I just, even hearing a couple testimonies this morning, I'm so encouraged, God, just to see what you're doing. And uh, I know it's hard. I know that um, we're all human and so we, we struggle, God, but you know, and you know how, how to direct us and you know how to encourage us. You know how to provide for us. So help us, God, to have more trust in you, to be more like you, to follow you, to surrender to you. Uh, just give us more strength, more of your spirit, more of your love. Help us to be lights in this dark world. Thank you, Father, for everything that you bless us with. Again, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.